Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Podcast. My name is Ryan Janke, and as always, I'm joined by Pastor DJ Lura. And today we have a special guest. Can I, we, can I drum roll him in? I think you have to. Right, Eventually, we we'll get this timed out right. We'll, think, we'll actually talk about it before we do it. You ready? All right, yes. So today we have... I think I broke the box. <laughs> I did. It's not working. Here, I'll do the drum roll. We are welcoming Brennan McPherson today. Brennan is an author of biblical fiction. Uh, he has uh, uh, several books out in a series called uh, the uh, the Fall of Man series. Um, some of the books are called Eden and Babel, and we have him on today just uh, to get to know Brennan a little bit, get to know about the series, um, and just just uh, have a conversation here. So, Brennan, welcome to that podcast. Thank you. I feel very, uh, very warmly welcomed. So thank you guys for having me on and appreciate being able to chat with you and get to know you. Yeah, I, I uh, so I, I found you online. Uh, at the beginning of the year, I was uh, cruising through Facebook and, um, you know, everybody's got all their New Year's resolutions, right? And, and one of them is to read so many books this year. And so I, I thought, well, Let's find somebody who writes some some biblically based books, and I found you, and they look really, really good, really intriguing. Um, so we'll talk about that. Um, but first, uh, DJ, you look like you have something to say. Well, you mentioned New Year's resolution, and I'm I'm curious how how it's going. Uh, if 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 you've uh, kept with it, or if you're already looking toward 2022 for the next New Year's resolution. <laughs> Which resolution? I I don't know that I made any. Oh, that's well. I thought I thought you know you you made a uh, resolution to read more books and, and stuff. like No, that. I saw a bunch of other people did. I'm not reading anything. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Who? You had me worried there for a minute. <laughs> no, that's not true. I'll read something. How about you, Brennan? Did you make a New Year's resolution? I did. Um, it's more of a kind of a bigger shift, life, lifestyle shift. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I write um, like most authors. I write in the in the off hours and I work a full-time job. Um, so I don't really get a whole lot of time. And w- one of my resolutions is just to kind of take things a little slower. Sure. Um, mm. Had some big stuff happen with family health and, and uh, some family passing away. Um, and it's kind of made me think a lot about just what do I really want to pour my time into in these next years? So yeah, discover, yeah. Uh, rediscovering how precious time is, uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I had a New Year's resolution that I would do um, uh, work on getting healthier, and I gave myself a month to get ready for the whole thirty. Oh, and you're I, doing that again? Doing the whole thirty. I'm I'm slightly over my my healthy weight scale. Okay. So and, yeah. and, and by get ready, do you mean eat all the cookies you can? Yes, I've been <laughs> I've been I've been loading up on carbs and sugar for to last me like like a like a bear preparing for hibernation. Well, yeah, uh, you, you gotta you gotta sandbag it a little bit. I mean, if you if you pack it on and then and then all that weight comes off, you can still say I lost this much, and everybody will be like, "Ooh, wow, that's great." But so far, for the most part, I, I haven't done it every day. But I've been also doing uh, a calisthenic workout of of squats, push ups, and sit ups every day, with the goal adding a little bit each month. That in a year I'll be doing, I believe, sixty push ups, sixty sit ups, and sixty squats. So I'm not doing a huge amount, but that's kind of the goal. Sixty over the whole year. Uh, yes. Yeah. So that's like one a, one a day, pretty much. Yeah. 
Six, what every six, other day? 60 in the morning and 60 in the evening. Oh, 60 in the morning and the evening? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. But, but I, you know, yeah, I'm going slow. I'm at five okay. for January. I, I do a squat every time I stand up. Well, I'm, I'm counting those too. I thought that was all right. Okay, but, yeah, that, that's more that's more up my alley. But I want to do it without going every time. Yep. You know, uh, so Brennan, before uh, I came on staff here at Atonement, I worked 13 years uh, for the city of Fargo in the street department, and uh, the the. The nice thing was when you, uh, you know, the big thing got to be to counting your steps, you know, having your, having your watch on or whatever, count your steps. Well, you get a lot of steps in when you're out plowing snow in the middle of the night for 12 hours when you're, when your arms are swinging around in <laughs> the steering wheel, you could come back with 60,000 steps overnight. Superman. Yeah. Never stepped out of the truck. Did you have a Fitbit? Uh, Do you remember Fit? Or is that still a thing? Yeah. Fitbits it is, yeah. are still a thing. Yep. I had a Fitbit a couple of years ago and. <laughs> I, I would count the steps mm-hmm. and I would walk in the evening and one day I'm looking at my Fitbit and all of a sudden it just goes poof and a little smoke came out of it. And what? It, it just popped. Yeah, I don't. I, I was just like, okay, that's, I, I'm done with this now. I don't know what <laughs> happened to it, but it just combusted. So I had, um, I had the, the equivalent for a Samsung because it could hook up to my phone, mm-hmm. but it was the most uncomfortable thing I've ever worn in my life, so I didn't have it very long. So, like having one of those plastic uh, watches as a kid, like pinches your skin and rips your hair yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Or like like uh, Grandpa's watch, right? The metal one that's got right. that expands, yeah. and you yeah. catch all your arm hair in there. Some sort of medieval torture tool. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So New Year's resolutions. All right. Um, so Brennan, uh, I I guess I'm interested in in hearing about your background. Um, uh, how you, uh, if you don't mind talking about your faith story a little bit, and then uh, what steered you towards writing these biblically-based uh, books? Yeah, well, it's kind of a weird story. So That's I good. nearly failed my English class in college, and um, I was never a writer. Uh, all growing up, I was, I was into video games. Uh, I was into music, um, you know, kind of an early metalhead and uh, a drummer. And early on, my dream was to just be a full-time musician. And uh, then I did that for a while and realized my dream is not to be a full-time musician. Um, <laughs> it's not, not an easy life. Um, but I had, I had a good time, kind of got that out of my, out of my blood. And um, as I, you know, got closer to my now wife, I realized, boy, you know, touring with a family is, is pretty brutal. Cause to be able to make it work. I mean, you end up touring like 150, 200 days a year. Mm-hmm. And um, everyone that I knew in the music industry who had been doing it for a long time, they're all getting divorced. They're all going through really big issues. Cause the problem is even if you're great and you love each other, you grow in different directions because you mm-hmm. never see each other. Right. So it's just, it's a, it's not a sustainable lifestyle for people. Um, and you see now more families going on tour together, which is way healthier. But uh, yeah, I just realized it wasn't for me. And I had always had a bucket list item of writing a book because I've always thought that I'm capable of doing things I have no business trying to do. So (laughs) um, 
it's like, yeah, failed college English almost. Uh, who cares? I'm going to write a book. We, um, we talked about this in church. Would we call this stubbornness or persistence? Uh, steadfast. 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 Yeah. That's a very positive turn. Yeah. I can think of a couple other less positive <laughs> terms. Let's go with steadfast. It makes me feel better. Um, so, I, yeah, I talked to one of my buddies who had taken a fi- fiction class in college. I was like, hey, do you have, a, have any good like books on fiction writing? He's like, yeah, here's my textbook. So he gave it to me. And I studied that and wrote my first book and it took a long time, but you know, I had always thought that the story of Cain and Abel would make a cool story. And I had this brilliant idea that I would approach it from a fantasy perspective. Spoiler alert was not a brilliant idea, <laughs> um, but it ended up getting published, which was a bad idea. And, uh, you know, ironically, it led to me going to self-publishing because I realized I could do a better job of marketing. And I also kind of slowly pivoted uh, away from the fantasy moorings more toward regular biblical fiction. So it really kind of all happened organically and accidentally. And the reason why I decided to stick with biblical fiction is because I'm, I'm just obsessed with the Bible. So it really just gives me an excuse to, to study scripture and to be in it more and, uh, you know, I find it to be just fun. And I've always wanted to be doing creative things and writing kind of filled the music spot when that became less of a thing in my life. And um, because of my background in in music and sound production, you know, I have a studio set up in my house so I can do the narration for the audiobooks. Mm-hmm. And then I have a I went to school for business management. So I have a business degree. So running the business side, I have fun. Um, I get really nerdy into the, you know, digital advertising analytics and all that stuff, all the boring things that people don't care about. I'm like, yes. <laughs> um, so I realized I was positioned well in the, in the indie market to, to do well. And I've just been doing that since. And, uh, so biblical fiction has become my thing sort of by default. Um, but yeah, going back to the, the faith story, um, I, we were talking a little bit beforehand. I first gave my, my life to Christ at a Billy Graham crusade when I was like seven. And um, then after that point, you know, I, I grew up in the church. Um, my parents uh, were always in the church, always believers, um, strong believers. Uh, my mom was, you know, worship leader. Uh, so I, I got involved with, you know, worship and youth group and stuff when I was young. Um, but I'd say for most of my life, it was, it was mostly kind of an intellectual ascent. It wasn't really like I wanted to feel that passion, but I didn't really have it. Mm -hmm. Um, if that makes sense. So Mm -hmm. really it was in college when I, um, I would say I truly became a Christian where Jesus became precious to me. Was it, um, progressive or was was there an aha moment for you yeah it it was progressive it wasn't it wasn't like there was this magic moment it was it was more so uh you know this kind of slow growth into grappling with um thoughts about life and the future and um and several writers actually had a big uh impact on me so one was aw tozer in his book whatever happened to worship Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm that was kind of a big pivot point for me where I was like, wow. So actually uh, it's not just this sort of, you know, cosmic transaction that's happening between us and God, where we say, forgive me, please. 
and God will let us into heaven and we'll still be hopefully lost in sin and we'll just want evil always continually. Uh, actually, God wants us to desire him and gives us good reason to desire him and helps us to desire him. And um, th that was a big change in kind of how I viewed the gospel and uh, our relationship to Christ and the significance of that. And then also another writer who had a big influence on me was Andrew Murray. Uh, he's a kind of a South African guy in the 1800s, uh, pastor, prolific writer. He wrote the devotional uh, Abide in Christ. And uh, that's since become my favorite devotional. But he really talks a lot. The way that he writes for me just like was able to impact me on a more holistic level. It wasn't just plain theology. It actually moved my heart and, and spirit and helped me to understand uh, I guess the, the basics of a God of the gospel in a way that just kind of was, I guess that was an aha moment too. So there were a couple aha moments, but it was kind of this long transition. If that makes sense. That sounded very totally. ambiguous. No, that's, that, that's, that's probably where, you know, the vast, vast, vast majority of Christians are. It's not, you can yeah. point to certain moments, but ultimately it's a, it's a progression in faith. It's, it's uh, yeah. here's the way we talk about it is, once you're tackled by Christ, you spend the rest of your life getting used to the fact that you have a savior. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. That's how we spe speak about, you know, sanctification and, and that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's not just I'm saved at such and such a point and that's that it's, it's every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I heard once, uh, I think it was RC Sproul who, who said it. He said, uh, there's a difference between believing in God and believing God. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, like you can believe that God exists, but that's very different from believing what God promises and commands and says. Right. And, and there's and this, that's, that's like a progressive thing. Cause there's so much, you know, uh, like, do we, do we trust that he has this next life for us? That it's a great gift. Do we trust that he's enough for us? Do we trust that he will sanctify us? Do we right. trust that he'll support us? Do we trust that he'll comfort us? All these things. That's kind of the progressive knowing, which funny enough, uh, don't forget your thought, <laughs> but funny enough in scripture, you know, it says that Christ was, uh, made perfect through his suffering and the term, obviously he was morally perfect, but the term implies that there was this progressive knowing that was, uh, you know, this filling up progressive filling up of the perfection that there's something more than just moral perfection. There's actually like this progressive sense of life with God and, you know, growing to understand and experience things with him mm -hmm. that is sort of wrapped up in God's hope for us as humanity and for eternity. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's about, um, we're Lutheran. So I, I, that's the language that I speak. Um, it's, uh, the, the, the point that I wanted to make before is you mentioned this, this, you know, uh, being raised in the church and understanding your relationship with God is, is like a transaction. Um, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, because we are selfish, turned in on ourselves, you know, sinners, uh, we would like to make even our relationship with God into a project that we can accomplish. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what you're talking about is that it's, 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 that might be a starting point, but ultimately it's a relationship of closeness that moves God from being hidden from you to reveal to you. Does that make yeah. sense? It's, yeah, it's, it's holistic. Yeah. And, it, and it links back to the Sabbath too. 
Um, because in the beginning, you, you look at like the, the setup that God gave for Adam and Eve in, in the Garden of Eden. That was kind of like the best hopes of in this world. You know, mm-hmm. you're living in in total, complete intimacy. God was walking with them. And on the seventh day, he rested with them. It was communal. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. it was life lived together with God, yeah. with no separation. And even in that environment, there was change. There was excitement. There was things to do. It, you know, it was full life. It was fuller life than we get to experience now because there was no... Um, no negative side of things. It's so hard for us to kind of imagine what heaven will be like, you know, without all the negative things. But I truly believe that that holistic kind of life with God is really sort of what we'll experience in the next world. You know, when he remakes the world and our bodies and yeah. uh, the new heavens and the new earth. So, um, well, yeah, and I, 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 I love that well. because that's, that's so, that's so hopeful. And, and one of the big, um, epidemics that the world has been facing as we become more connected uh, technologically is we become isolated individually. Mm-hmm. And so loneliness is a very real thing, even with voices yeah. all around you. Um, but as you, you grow in a relationship with God, you discover that you're never alone. Right. He'll never leave us, never forsake us. And, and that, that is, that is a balm for a wounded soul um, yeah. that, you know, is tempted to feel alone, that, that you're isolated, that, that mm-hmm. you're on, it's all on you. And, um, the gospel frees you from that. It does. And, and the way that we get to experience that, I mean, the scriptures say that the Holy Spirit is our, like our down payment. It's the, the confirmation that we are God's children. Right. Right. And we get to experience a bit of heaven on earth through prayer and worship and, and communally experiencing that together. And it's so important, especially when times get tough. And that's part of like my new year's resolution is just, uh, to, to live more of a Godward lifestyle where, um, the first and most clear thing that I focus on every morning is just having extended time to be able to focus on prayer and worship and just being able to, uh, be with him and let him change me because um, it's important to have time together. Mm-hmm. I mean, just like every other relationship, if you never spend time together, you'll never grow like each other. You know, mm-hmm. you, you'll never grow closer to each other. And um, that's part of the Christian life is, is saying, okay, I'm going to give you my life. Right. And, and that has to roll over into our actual lifestyles as well. So going back to the books, um, Eden, the first book, you know, it's about Genesis one through four, essentially. Uh, and what struck me most when I was researching and writing that book was that the, the incarnation Christ is, you know, it's involved in Eden from yeah. the very beginning. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you, they heard his footsteps and Christ is the only incarnation of God. So Christ was in Eden with them. Mm-hmm. And he was physically with them. Mm-hmm. And that, for whatever reason, that moved me so deeply and became a big focal point of the book because um, I believe that it's a big focal point of the original story in the Garden of Eden. And it's a big focal point of 
the New Heavens and New Earth, which I view as being sort of like a, a new Eden, mm-hmm. you know, where we will be able to be physically with, with Christ. Mm-hmm. And uh, for whatever reason, that, that really kind of made an impact on my view of the gospel as well, because mm-hmm. suddenly the promise of heaven becomes not just this sort of disembodied spiritual state that no one has any idea what it's like. It becomes a hope for a real life with a real person who loves, you know, <laughs> I, I would say that you have, you have good support behind you because Isaiah would agree with you. And so would John of Patmos. So, yeah. uh, that's exactly what it's going to be. Uh, yep. the new heaven. And, and that's not, that's not what I heard growing up. Mm. You know, what I heard growing up was we're going to be in heaven. Right. Mm-hmm. What, what does that mean? <laughs> it's, right. it's very, it's very pie in the sky. It's very ambiguous. But when God says, to hope in something. He never tells us to hope in something. He doesn't give us good reason to hope in. Mm-hmm. When he tells us to love him, he gives us reasons to love him. And so if he's telling us to hope in something, that's just this ambiguous, weird thing that it's re- you really can have no emotional connection to it. I think we're missing the boat then. Yeah. You, you bring up a really uh, interesting point in, in your biblical studies. Were there other things that was just like, wow, I, I was never taught that because we have kind of a, um, a zeitgeist, a cultural idea of yeah. of what Christianity is and what what uh, the cosmology of life is, what the afterlife looks like, and often it takes on the form of like Saint Peter standing at a pearly gate, and yeah. if you're a good person, you get in; if you're a bad person, you go you go down to the to the hot place to hell. Um, mm-hmm. But just like the point that you just made, the the culture is saying it's one thing. In reading scripture, you discover it's something much much more dynamic and exciting and way more and yeah. something to hope in as compared to this ethereal idea that comes more out of Greek philosophy in the West totally. than it does out of the Bible. Totally. Yeah. And actually one of the earliest heresies was Gnosticism. Yes, sir. A part of a part of Gnosticism is a rejection of the physical as any good. Right. But that is not biblical at all. Right. God created everything physical. He created dirt and called it good. Mm-hmm. And that in itself, he's talking about you, Ryan, <laughs> <laughs> and me. Wait, take, take me out of it. Take me out of it. But that in itself is is quite a provocative realization. You know, and it's it's a it's hard to understand because Western culture is so pervaded by that early Gnosticist uh, uh, Gnostic thinking. And then on the other side, you have the hyper-spiritualism of the, 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 the weird stuff going on um, with new age stuff that's mm-hmm. kind of taken uh, the world by storm and even the Christian community by storm, the, the blending kind of the Eastern mysticism and um, weird, weird stuff. Um, but either of those extremes are not what align with scripture. Scripture says that the physical is good. God himself became a person. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously his his hope for the world was to involve the physical. Otherwise he wouldn't have made it. And his future hope for where we're going to be is physical. Otherwise he wouldn't make a new earth. Right. Um, so th- we have to do away with this idea that the physical is somehow too embarrassing for God or too uh, like lesser than the spiritual, because it's all supposed to be together. Yeah. Yeah. We're, well, we're not meant for a purely spiritual experience. We're not meant for a purely physical experience. It's meant to be together. Yeah. You, you nailed it. Um, 
much and of Western that's culture. The gospel is that he he joins the physical and spiritual together. It's yep. reconciliation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, a big a big thing in the West that I think Americans have no idea about because we don't really study philosophy anymore. Uh, but what you just expressed is the worldview of Platonism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That uh, the spiritual is good, the physical mm-hmm. is bad. Which, by the way, all of our ways of thinking, our higher education system is built on the foundations of this, yep. of these philosophies. Yep. So all of Western thought is built on these philosophies that are really not biblical. Right. Now, there's good things about them, but we do have to keep in mind that some of the some of our ideas that kind of um, in Western Christian culture have that we've imposed on the on the Bible are not really biblical in themselves. Exactly. Exactly. And you get that. You, you get a feeling of that when you're, when you're reading Scripture and you're reading especially how the Old Testament speaks about soul and life, that yeah. the soul is, con- is connected to breath. Without breath, there is no right. life. That's why we believe in the resurrection of the body. You get into Paul and you hear Paul's rabbinic understanding of, of the world um, bumping up against Greek logic. Mm-hmm. And you see him crisscrossing it, but it's only after that when the church emerged um, as a major force within a Greek worldview in Rome that you see much more of these these bringing forward of, of Aristotelian ideas, and, yes. and, and that's continued on in the church, and we're now just coming out of that in the last 40 years in postmodernism. Yeah, and, and you know what? I'm going to say something that probably will sound a little bit dangerous, but that's kind of, that's kind of early syncretism. Mm-hmm. And, and it even blends into like political syncretizing political issues yep. with biblical issues, which we are experiencing in mass today. Yep. Mm-hmm. And now just as a, you know, I don't want to get too much into politics. You ready to kill the link? Uh, you ready to, to <laughs> no. I'm, no, I'm very, I'm yeah. very conservative myself. <laughs> Remember yesterday we decided controversy is good. Yes, we did. We did. Uh, we will, we will share with you full on. Uh, Christianity is countercultural to both the left and the right. It's absolutely. And that's what I was going to say. You know, I, I'm, I myself very conservative, but the thing that worries me and that I think, um, I, I see clearly from the new, new Testament writings that the apostles would be abhorred by mm-hmm. is the nationalism mm-hmm. uh, yes. that we see in, in the Western church right now. Um, the blending of political figures as a sort of messianic uh, mm-hmm. figure, both on the right and the left, it's become sort of a replacement for uh, the worship of God, even in the church, because our spiritual disciplines have been so lax. We don't pray, we don't worship, not deeply, right. and we don't. Christ really isn't our tre- the treasure of our hearts, and so we get distracted by all of the the political propaganda. And we get um, our hearts get more wrapped up in political figures than they do in Christ himself. And that's sort of what was happening in the early uh, kind of, you know, politicization of the Christian church. And what did that lead to? It led to violence. It led to, you know, uh, a, a lot of inappropriate things. So we do have to, I think, be careful to push back on all of these kind of cultural things that we try and push on the Bible. Mm-hmm. And really let the Bible dictate to us what our cultural ideas should be instead. And thus the need, as you mentioned, to be in the word, in prayer, yeah. as right. kind of as kind of your breakfast and together. Your start. And together. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, because because it, when you are isolated, like what we've experienced with this whole COVID phenomenon, when you are isolated, even if you're in scripture and you're in prayer, our tendency is toward getting off on our own tangents and having our own ideas. So, um, you know, the church is is an absolutely vital part of our lifestyle and our stability. Mm-hmm. Um, you made an interesting point. You know, the the rabbinic view of life was everything that had breath. And one kind of cultural idea that gets pushed onto the Genesis narrative that is not inherent in it and was not part of the understanding of early Jews or early Christians is the idea that um, plants never died before the fall. Now, this will irritate a decent portion of the listeners right now. <laughs> this, this does not go over well because it's such a strong cultural idea. But, and, and it, it may be true. But it's not in the scripture, and it wasn't the original understanding of the Jews, and it wasn't the understanding of the early Christians. And actually, when you go back to, I think it's the Council of Carthage, when uh, I'm I'm probably saying it wrong, remembering it wrong, but it was where they decided uh, kind of big issues of the gospel, uh, and they decided at that point that um, about like man's fallenness, and that the fall had to do with um, the, the death of mankind and kind of Christ's relationship to that. Um, and people try to use the, that early kind of like um, statement to say that, you know, plants never died, animals never died before the, the fall. Um, and I think it's much more likely that animals didn't die before the fall than that plants didn't die. But you see in, in the Genesis narrative that they were eating plants. Mm-hmm. Right. What happens when you take a bite of an apple and swallow it? You 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 take the apple off the the vine or the the tree, and and then it's going to die. It's been separated from its life source. Right. It will start to decay. Digestion is a decay. There's decay processes involved with that. Right. And there's nothing in scripture that says that God remade how our bodies work completely at the fall. Uh, to where, you know, digestion is now completely a new thing. Um, now, it could have been, but it's just not there. Mm-hmm. And so that is an example of a culture idea that has been pushed onto the biblical narrative that is not necessarily in it. Right. And I think that we have to be, we have to be careful being militant about these things. Because if we're wrong, there, there can be problems that crop up. Yeah, I think that uh, to allow Scripture to be Scripture and and to trust that it's um, God's Word is to also recognize that the points that are far away from us, at least from our view, is the beginning and the end. And you got to allow for a little mystery in both of those yeah. uh, locations. Yeah, you have to be comfortable saying, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. there's a we lot don't of have I that don't answer. <clears throat> well, and, that? And, and this isn't something new. This Calvin, Luther yeah. uh, also spoke about Luther made this point. He said, even if the world was not, even if Adam and Eve were not the first two people, mm-hmm. it's still through Adam and Eve that God chose to reveal himself and therefore judge his creation based on the best of his creation, Adam and Eve that he made with his very own hands rather than speaking them into existence. Mm-hmm. So he took care in making Adam and Eve and placing them in paradise. And yeah. even the best of his creation rebelled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so... The, the penalty to Adam and Eve spreads to all of creation, especially after the flood. 
Yeah. But the timing of it is where people get all all uh, wrapped up around the axle. Wrapped up around the axle, to yeah. To quote our yeah. senior yeah. pastor. Yeah. Um, and, and you got to allow for a little mystery there. Now, if you believe that the world was created in six days, I, I have no problem with that. Scripture mm-hmm. makes that assertion. Now, does it mean six little 24-hour, seven-day-a-week days? It doesn't, and I'm okay with that too. Allow for a little mystery. The point of the story is that humanity has turned away from God, and God is doing everything in order to reconcile his creation to himself, and that's the entire rest of the narrative of Scripture. Well, and science has also shown that time is not static. Mm-hmm. The flow of time is not static. And so it is possible that a day at the very beginning actually would be many, many years mm-hmm. of our span of time now. Yeah, and, we, it could have, and it could have legitimately been a day. Well, and, and that's kind of what I mean about, about there's, there's wiggle room because Scripture is not asserting right. that you have to believe this doctrine otherwise— uh, you, you've lost the faith. I think when, when that becomes the point, it can cause people to lose the faith because they begin questioning what Scripture is. And it's not, it's not, there's times that Scripture is literal and there's times that it's figurative. Now, you can make the argument with Genesis 1 that it's meant to be figurative because it's written in Hebrew in a poetic way. Totally. And, and the word yom can mean a 24-hour day, but it all, also can mean an age, like mm-hmm. back in my day. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we don't know how long that is. What I find interesting about the Genesis narrative uh, of the creation is, is science, to me, seems to, to speak a similarity to it. You have the light, and then you have the creation of the, the stars and the sun and the sky and so on, and then uh, the... Flows in the same order. It flows in the same order. Yeah. I mean, not, you know, it's, it's poetic. It's not meant to be a, a scientific textbook. Well... But uh, but it does, in some instances, flow backwards mm-hmm. to to science, which is pretty fascinating. Mm-hmm. And and the other thing that, that I have kind of gone back to time and again is, what was the understanding historically of early Christians and of the Jewish people of these passages? Mm-hmm. And without fail, the the Jewish people viewed it as six days. Mm-hmm. And when that and comes out later in the narrative in, you know, uh, in Exodus, I believe when they talk right. about, yeah, right. And, You're going to rest and, on the seventh cause it took these many days. Right. Totally. And, uh, um, the early Christians uh, without fail, uh, viewed it as six days. Um, now I'm not saying that that's like a Trump card, right. uh, uh, because it is still ambiguous. We don't know, but my general inclination is to trust that God knew how to communicate the truth to people. Yep. Yeah. In a way that they would understand. Yep. And um, if the people he chose to communicate himself to didn't understand him correctly, that seems odd. But you know, it's possible. But uh, there's there's definitely many ways that you can justify, um, you know, the, the whole day age theory. Mm-hmm. So it, there's there's so much ambiguity. Ambiguity. And again, like you said being dogmatic about things that are not central, that are not extremely clear, it's, it's problematic. Right. It's fun to speculate about, but ultimately if your speculation leads you to doubt, you need to return to proclamation and grab onto Jesus. Mm-hmm. Or, or leads you to be rude to people. Right. Yeah. You know, that's a, that's a, that's a problem. I, when I was growing up, I was pretty dogmatic about stuff and I hurt people's feelings and I realized, man, this is a horrible way to go about things. Right. Yeah. Um, I had to kind of, eat a little crow there 
with some of my friends and go apologize because yeah. I, I kind of harmed some friendships just by being too dogmatic. Right. And that doesn't align itself with the New Testament. We're supposed to be um, winsome and, and loving, right. you know, and, and uh, gentle, yeah. um, self-controlled and not given to fits of anger, you know, all these things. And so I repent every day because I'm never <laughs> right, always self-controlled or without anger or <laughs> right. especially with little kids. Right. <laughs> oh, I have I have the perfect proof of of that I'm a sinner and that sin is in me um and it's with my kids. When when if I was without sin, anything that the Lord called me to do, I would gladly do with joy in my heart. <laughs> and then my baby daughter, my first daughter, is crying at three in the morning. My first response isn't to hop out of bed and say, ah, Lord, you have called me to my fatherly vocation to take care of my child. I will gladly go and, and take to her needs. My response is, it's your turn. Yep, yep, yep. Or so, slam the door on the way. Right. <laughs> Make sure that child knows That's you're, right. you're mad. I have to get up in the morning. Yep. Yep. <laughs> So uh, you talked about um, uh, the research process and everything, and obviously you had uh, pretty good knowledge of, of everything. How, how did you go outside the scriptures for research? Like you, you mentioned a little bit ago, thinking um, in terms of how the, the Jews thought back at that time and things like that. Did you look at any other uh, uh, literature or anything like that as you were doing the research process? So the way I've approached um, writing these books is I, I trust the scripture, mm -hmm. but I don't trust the extra biblical books um, like the books of Enoch. They, they, they have been re rejected by many as being, you know, not exactly trustworthy. Mm -hmm. um, I know some people disagree on that. That's fine. I personally feel convicted that they can disagree. They're not writing your book. Scripture. <laughs> scripture is what I want to stick to. Yeah. So, what I went into it with was, okay, I'm not going to write anything that contradicts scripture at all. So anything that's clear in scripture is going to be in the book. Mm -hmm. um, but there's what I, what I found diving into is there's an enormous amount of ambiguity in the text. Enormous because it is poetic in Genesis. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's, it's some of the most beautiful ancient poetry you'll ever find. It's specifically the first, you know, well, 11 chapters up to the story of Babel. This is, it's structured more as like ancient myth, yep. right? Yeah. It's a true myth, according to some. Uh, was that C.S. Lewis or was that Tolkien who said it was a, it was like a true myth? It was uh, probably both of them, actually. Yeah, probably. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I'm a huge a... I'm a huge Tolkien fan, yep. so I, my moorings are more in fantasy. I like uh, the imagination. I believe that God gave us the imagination. And I believe that the imagination is the muscle He gave us to uh, to be able to worship. Without the imagination, we can't worship him. Right? Mm -hmm. It's just not possible. And we engage our imagination every time we read scripture. So you read about Paul, you know, being in the uh, jail cell, and you're imagining what the jail cell looked like. You're imagining his clothes, the sound of the scrape of his clothing against the stone, mm -hmm. the drip of water to the puddles that you'd be sitting around, sound of the chains, everything. You're imagining all this stuff. That's fantasy. That's your imagination at work. That's not really what it was, but God gave us that faculty so that we could feel the significance of what they were going through. And so that the truths that they communicate would go deeper down into our hearts. So I view biblical fiction as being 
the process of vividly rendering that imagination to help people feel the significance of the events mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and to help them uh, see it from a different perspective so that they can experience it as something fresh mm -hmm. and, and be able to kind of broaden their, their way of thinking about it. So I go through and write, you know, according to what scripture explicitly says, and then everything else is, is free reign. Mm -hmm. You know, I want it to be imaginative. I want it to be surprising. I want it to be um, fun to read and uh, intense and uh, something that would, that you wouldn't expect. I didn't want to just simply regurgitate what was already there in a dry form. They could just go read the Bible then. You're, you're capturing the their Bible. attention. Right. And I'm not trying to replace scripture or add to it at all. It's clearly fiction. It's, and that, that's well, something that people really have to keep in mind. I would say it's preaching. If you think about it's ex it. It's exactly what preachers do every time they're in the pulpit. They add uh, flourishes. They add details to try and help people feel the significance of the truths Absolutely. that they're trying to communicate. But we all know that it wasn't like that. You know, mm -hmm. when pastors make a joke that, uh, you know, about Adam and Eve's relationship, we know it wasn't actually like that, but we laugh anyways. And are like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so it's funny to me that people respond so negatively to biblical fiction sometimes. Cause like, well, okay. You engage in this yourself every time you read scripture you engage in it every time you go to church and listen to a sermon. It's just a slightly different package or form to find it in. But I do understand as well that especially these stories in Genesis are very controversial because everyone has such a different view of it. Mm -hmm. So I've tried to write it in a way uh, that people can, um, that it can go down easier for people. Um, and really at the end of the first book is actually a 15 page study on the text that it's about. Um, so for those who would have a hard time with things that run contrary to their vision, they can go and read that first and see what the intentions were with the, with the respect to how I handled the text. And that's helped some people be able to read and appreciate it more and uh, have a better time with it. Have you ever heard of any um, other Christian authors that are, are making narrative out of uh, uh, novelization out of the scriptures. Like, have you ever read the stuff oh, yeah. like Walter Wangren? I haven't read him. No, I've not heard of him. Okay. No. He's, he was, um, he was the writer, uh, in residence at Valparaiso university. And he novelized the entire Bible called the book of God. And then he wrote a sequel called Paul, which is a novelization of Paul's journey. Um, and does kind of the same thing where at the end of the books, there's, or, 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 the chapters, there's there's a bit of Bible study that can be done among people. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's that's what caught me with what you're doing. I'm like, I liked I liked how you were focusing in on individual stories as as a novel a piece. And um, just because it digs in more than if you're trying to cover the entire Bible, it can <laughs> it can yeah, be hard, hard to hold that narrative. Right. And book. and so you you uh, started with uh, Eden uh, yep. and then moved on after that to uh, um, flood flood and then babble after that yep uh, and, and the the time period that these were written in was a little weird because i had that first book out that was the fantasy you know take on Cain, and then i wrote flood which was kind of like a mixture of a little bit of the fantasy left over and more of a biblical fiction uh route so that's kind of a blend right and then the third book babel was more straightforward biblical fiction 
And then I rewrote the first book, Eden. Okay. And that's more straightforward biblical fiction. So it goes a little bit like biblical fiction, kind of weird fantasy, <laughs> and then back to biblical fiction. So it's a little bit funny for people, but, um, so would you say, would you say your first book that you, you've lamented already, yeah. uh, would you say it was allegory? And I find that interesting as a Tolkien fan, cause he was yeah, not a fan it, of allegory. <laughs> it, it wasn't allegory. It was symbolism. Okay. So it was, it was fantasy. I would say it's more like a fantasy parable mm-hmm. than anything else. Um, cause I don't like allegory myself. I like Pilgrim's Progress. If you want to torture me, make me read that book. <laughs> Uh, I'm not a fan of that. And that's just a stylistic thing for me. Well, and that was Tolkien's insult to Lewis because he thought Narnia was an allegory. (laughs) Right. And it pretty much is. But, but, you know, I I do, I grew up liking the Chronicles of Narnia. But as I've grown older, I've really leaned more toward Tolkien's style. Mm -hmm. And I'm a huge fan of Tolkien and Silmarillion, I find brilliant. Um, Yeah. I love fantasy parables. I think they're a beautiful way to communicate truth. Um, and in a way that makes it obvious what you're doing is fantasy. You shouldn't take it seriously. Um, which, which I think is helpful. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of examples. Had you read Tolkien's short story leaf by niggle? I have not. I have not either. Okay. So that's one, that's like my favorite short story of of all time. And it's about this painter who he's trying to do this masterpiece of a tree and uh, his, his neighbor, Parrish, uh, he, is, he doesn't appreciate the painting at all, doesn't appreciate art whatsoever. And it's just like one of those nosy, annoying neighbors who needs help. And uh, anyways, he falls on hard times, both of them do. And then the authorities come and have to patch his neighbor's roof. So they take Niggle's painting and patch his roof with it because it's canvas. Uh, so it's this whole story of like their relationship together, but then the way that it's all wrapped up together in the end as a fantasy parable, is just a beautiful picture of like a beautiful picture of God's redemptive plan for history mm-hmm. and a beautiful picture of Christian community. And, and in that instance, the fantasy is used to such good effect because it lets you see the truths about these issues from a totally fresh perspective. And you say, Oh, I haven't thought of it that way before. Similar to kind of like what Lewis did with uh, the great divorce, mm-hmm. uh, the, the ideas about hell that he had in heaven. Obviously it wasn't meant to be taken literally, but it was very thought provoking. Mm-hmm. And Jesus, you know, he, he used parables to communicate truths to people. And in some instances, they had some fantasy uh, elements to them. Mm-hmm. Now, they were generally more grounded in everyday metaphors, but they were clearly meant as symbolic rather than literal. Right. And the, the thing about the parables of Jesus that I think any good um, author that is putting together parable would seek to do is that there's, there's the plain facts that you can see and take away just from the common sense of, of whatever the story is. But then there's usually some underlying main point kernel that hits you later. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that's one of the things that I think makes reading the gospels so continuously satisfying because there's all these layers to the way that Jesus communicated yeah. It's so interesting. There's always more to mine from it. Every time you read it, you see something uh, that you didn't really see before. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think, that, I think that's beautiful. I think the Holy Spirit hits you with what you need to hear when you need to hear it. Sometimes mm-hmm. uh, something Definitely. something will sound like a conviction to you. Another time it's, it sounds like pure promise of mercy. Uh, yeah. But it's the same word. I had I had an experience with Exodus twenty. Uh, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, mm. punishing the iniquity. And I used to always hear that as just complete um, judgment. Yeah, you know, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous something to be scared of. Until one day, I heard it as pure gospel that yeah. I am jealous for you. Yeah, and I love you. Yeah, totally. So. And he should be just like a husband should be jealous for his wife mm-hmm. to be able to be together. Cause that's the commitment that they've made to each other, yeah. you know, to, to a certain extent, at least <laughs> not a perverse extent. <laughs> so but, the, yeah. Uh, the, the other, uh, the other series is uh, the Psalm series, the hunter and the Valley of death is book yeah. one in that. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Okay. So that was a straight fantasy parable and that was kind of me getting it out of my system to do fantasy because I just love fantasy so much. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a multi-author series. So I did the first novella and they're short, they're novellas. So they're like a hundred to 200 pages. Okay. Um, so I did the first one based on Psalm 23 and uh, it's a fantasy parable that takes the lines of the Psalm and turns it into a fantasy story. Uh, and it's very gospel centered, gospel focused. So the idea is that this guy loses his loved one and he wants to bring her back to life. And so he hears there's, uh, something he can do to bring her back to life. He can get the dagger of death. And if he cuts his own skin with it and lets his blood touch it, he will go to the Valley of death. And if he then finds this weapon to destroy death. And if he kills death and conquers death, he'll be able to bring his loved one back to life. And what ends up happening, I don't know if I should spoil it, but (laughs) it's, it's a gospel story. Sure. Basically. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought it was a lot of fun for me to write. Uh, uh, some people think it's kind of weird because it's very fantasy, but, Mm um, but yeah, that one, is very meaningful to me. And it's a real short read. And if you sign up to my email list to get a weekly devotional, you will get that book for free. So if you do go to my website, you, you can, you can download it for free. Can, can you give us a plug for your website? Yeah. Why don't you, why don't you give us all that information website? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Social security number, the Facebook, the Twitter, yep. Amazon account. All that stuff. <laughs> yep. Uh, so my, my website is brennanmcpherson.com. And if you Google my name, you'll find it as well. Um, and you know, I I should look to make sure what color it is before I say, I can't remember my own website. Okay. So if you go to my website, uh, there's a little orange button that says subscribe for two free books. If you subscribe there, you'll get the weekly devotional, which is, is always just very focused on scripture and prayer. Um, and you can unsubscribe at any time, but then you'll get to, uh, two books. One is the hunter in the Valley of death. And then the other one is a nonfiction book on the gospel. Um, very short. 
And that's the best way to keep in touch with me. I don't really do much for social media. I do have a Facebook page, but I never really use it. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm not very active on it. Okay. Um, yeah, that's, that's the best way. So are, are, are your books, are, are they um, hard copy? Are they, can you get digital copies of them? Yeah, so you can, uh, you can find them on Amazon, uh, the Kindle, and you can, they're, they're all in Kindle Unlimited. So uh, they're, the digital ebook is exclusive to Amazon and the people in KU and Kindle Unlimited can read it for free. I also have audiobook versions available broadly. Uh, you can find it on Audible, audiobook.com, uh, a bunch of other platforms and, uh, and through, through libraries, the audiobooks are available. So if you want, you can, you know, download them through, through overdrive, I think. Um, and then paperbacks are available through Amazon and through Barnes and Noble. And, uh, if you go to any bookstore, you know, they're available through the Ingram catalog. So you can ask your bookstore to order a copy and you can get it through them too, if you want to support a local business, but those are all broadly available. Excellent. Well, Brennan, I, I really appreciate you coming on, taking the time to visit with us. Um, and I'm looking forward to having you back. Um, I, I feel like... Uh, yeah. um, Exciting things are in the works yes. that we will not say a word about yet. Top <laughs> secret. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I'm, uh, uh, I'm, I'm so happy you came on. I, I really appreciate it um, and uh, look forward to having you back. Um, any final thoughts, um, Brennan? Anything you'd like to, to share before we wrap, um, wrap up? Great to meet you guys. I really appreciate you know being able to spend some time with you, get to know you a little bit and talk about scripture and the gospel and, and art and everything. Um, I just yeah. thought of a really important question that we have to ask. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm assuming it's not going to be very important. It's incredibly important. Um, Is it? I, I, I'm, I'm not going to say where you live, but I'm just curious. Uh, are you a Packers or Vikings fan? Neither. Never been a oh, sports guy. Nice. Nice dodge. Nice yeah. dodge. Yep. Very good. Yeah. I'm not a cheesehead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. I think I've actually watched maybe uh, three football games in my entire life. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. And people around here are like rabid, <laughs> like rabid <laughs> about football. <laughs> Everyone asks me, so are you going to watch the game today? Well, I didn't know there was going to be one. <laughs> what game? He must be a yep. Broncos fan. Well, yeah, you, <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Yeah, we... we they're pretty well, rabid. Yeah, let's. Well, and and it's been it's been a rough go for a little while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you want to pray us out of here, yeah, DJ? Let's pray. Great sadness. Let's 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 uh, sub, uh, substitute the sadness for gladness. <laughs> <laughs> let's pray, dear Lord. We thank you for this time to laugh and to fellowship and to be in relationship to be to be uh, around you where you promised to be in your word. And I, I ask blessing upon. Uh, Brennan and all the work that he is doing and, and the exciting things that are uh, that you're putting on his heart. And I pray, Lord, that uh, that would be brought forth with fruition when the time is right. Um, bless us as we go from this, this uh, time together into whatever uh, you are leading us to um, purpose and, and serve our neighbors. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, 
Thank you again, Brennan. Uh, I'll put the links um, where I can put them to the website and things like that. Um, and if you are looking for a service to watch this weekend, don't forget that we have services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. You can find them at atonementfargo.org, atonement.live, and on YouTube by searching Atonement Fargo. So for Pastor DJ Lura and Brennan McPherson... Well, I, real quickly, they can also come to the church, too. They can. Yeah. They can we're, come we're, to the church. We're wide open. We are. We are. Come on down. It's like the price is right. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, now I, I lost my place. Uh, for uh, Pastor DJ. And- yeah. I'm Brennan McPherson. I'm Ryan Janke. Thank you for joining us. And join us next time for another riveting episode of That Podcast. Oh, Sarah's not here. I forgot to cue the music. Ha, ha, ha.